We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Moto, and you are listening to episode 19. Hello, Moto. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me. Say hello, Travis. Good evening. This week's episode is all about magic online events uh, and from a concept of fun and expected value. Um, and then I think at the end we're going to get on our, our soapbox and talk a little bit about, uh, about the hate that magic online gets. And uh, I think we both have some things to say, especially after today's events. We're recording this after the standard uh, throwback or flashback leagues are supposed to be going online. So we have a few things to say about that. But first, Mr. Sowers, how is your week? Life is good. Everything is good in Travis land. Um, I'm excited that we have a streamer showdown coming up uh, tomorrow. Actually, it will have just happened by the time people hear this. I was going to be those flashback standard leagues, but has since been changed to triple cons of Tarkir booster draft. You don't say. I do say. Have I ever told you that cons draft is one of my favorite draft formats of all time? Only every single time anyone's ever asked you what your favorite draft format was, and then you would usually talk about it for 20 minutes. So I'm presuming that you, like, I played cons, I was good in cons, I had some GP finishes in the money in cons, but I kind of only remember that you drafted wedges and that there were morphs. Um, in, any advice for somebody who wants to win a streamer showdown in 12 hours? Well, I'm sure glad you asked about that. <laughs> no, all jokes aside, um, I, I actually kind of do want to talk about it for maybe five or ten minutes because it feels like just yesterday that I was drafting it, even though it's been now, I think, two years at least. Something two and like and a half that, years yeah. probably. Um, so I'm actually very interested in just spending maybe five minutes. Hopefully our listeners will get some value out of this, but... Let's spend a few minutes on the cons nostalgia and then we'll hop right into our talk about expected value and, and the different magic online events that you can play. So we're kind of going old school here and then we're targeting kind of the new magic online player. Um, and, you know, hopefully along the way, the veterans get some get some take out of this. But uh, if not, well, well, we'll see you next time. So now I, right. I think the veterans can get something out of the concept of EV. Like I'd been playing for years before it occurred to me to check that stuff out. So I would encourage veterans to to listen to this one too. We're, we're inclusive here. We're inclusive. We're, we are inclusive. So, okay. So first cons block. So for those of you that have not drafted cons block, it is literally the greatest format of all time. In my opinion, um, the, the, the key things you need to remember about cons or you need to know about cons is first of all, uh, it's a multi, it's a, it's a three color or more format. Um, so it's not just two colors like most draft formats. And the reason being is, well, twofold. One, the fixing is amazing. You have dual lands, you have tri lands, and you have fetch lands. Um, so generally speaking, you're going to be playing in wedges, as Travis mentioned earlier. So we've got the five clans. You've got Abzan, you've got Teamer, you've got Mardu, you've got Sultai, and you've got, 
Why can't I think of the fifth one? Jess guy. Um, those are the five color combos you're going to be playing. And all of the lands that you're going to be picking um, will fall into generally two of those. Uh, at, well, they'll all fall into two of those at the very least. So even your tri-lands you can take as dual lands if you're in the wrong guild or the, sorry, the wrong clan. Um, that's no big deal. Basically, it's super easy to, to play three colors in this format. And you pretty much have to. And the reason is there's just so many gold cards. Gold cards are uh, super powerful in this format. Um, and and you basically have to take them because they are your most powerful cards uh, in those colors, generally speaking. There's also a lot of off-color activated abilities, if I remember correctly, um, to kind of shoehorn these cards into uh, either like, uh, I guess two of the, cl- the clans. So a lot of cards will touch, uh, two of, of, of the five clans. So for example, in Abzan, you'll have cards that are green that have activated, uh, abilities that are black, uh, Abzan being green, white, and black. And then that green and black will also, uh, lean over into Sultai. So you'll be able to play it in a, uh, in a green, black, and blue deck as well. So that's kind of the main concept. Number one, right there. Number two is morphs. Morphs make your your three color, your four color, your five color shenanigans a little bit easier to play because they kind of smooth out your your draws and they smooth out your plays. So a morph is a card that you can play face down for three mana as a two two. Period. Three mana, any color doesn't matter. It's colorless. Then at any time later in the game, if you have the mana, you can pay its morph cost and you can flip it face up and you can ambush your opponent. You can get some kind of extra value on the morph. There's all sorts of things you can do with the morph, but generally speaking. You're going to smooth out your draws and you're going to play a bunch of morphs that are on color that you might not have the mana for that you can flip up later. So those are kind of the the two main concepts. Are you still with me? Still with you. Okay. So morphs are like, in this format, they're the ultimate two for one. Or not necessarily the ultimate two for one, but you're going to get a lot of two for ones with these. So you have the ambush potential where you can flip up a surprise blocker on your opponent um, after they've attacked in with their team or something like that. And you can try to eat them. But a lot of the morphs in this format have abilities stapled onto them or some kind of extra bonus when you, when you morph them up. So you might have a death touch creature that you morph uh, and eat your opponent six, six, and you just traded a little one, one and a couple of mana or something like that. There's also morphs that had lifelink. You could surprise your opponent and all of a sudden, Hey, I'm gaining a bunch of life. Um, there's morphs that countered spells. There's morphs that bounced creatures. There's just the whole gambit of, of extra value you can get off these morph cards. And that's what made the format so fun, so much fun. Agree. I think it's also worth mentioning as you're getting into the clans for somebody that hasn't played this before, each of the clans is made up by two allied colors and then the one color that is in opposition to both of them. For example, Mardu is red-black, which are allies, and white, which is opposed to both of them. Soltai is black-blue and green, which is opposed to both of them, and so on. So that's what you're looking for. This is different um, as compared to something like Shards of Alara, which were three of the allied ones. We would call, what did they call those? Shards. Shards. That's probably why they called them shards. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's really easy to, um, uh, if if you're new to, to the concept of those five color combinations, those, those cons, uh, or sorry, guild, what are they called? Are they guilds? Clans, right? Clans. They're clans. Clans. All right. Clans. Um, because a lot of the cards you're going to be seeing 
will uh, like in, in the first pack that you open, you're going to see some of those color identities on those gold color cards. So basically anything that has three colors obviously falls into one of these these wedges, these, these clans. Um, where it gets a little tricky is remembering which two color cards go with which clans. And so if you're new to the format uh, and you're new to, um, you know, maybe the color wheel in general, it, I would kind of advise of having a little diagram drawn somewhere of which lands can pivot around which color combinations so that you know if you take a bunch of, you know, blue-black dual lands, for example, the tap lands, that you have two directions to go later on, right? Or you're taking a, blunt, a bunch of um, red-white cards early and you're like, well, this means that I can go Jeskai because I can take blue cards or I can go Mardu and take black cards on top of that. So you kind of need to remember which cards go with which. And if you're taking, you know, red-white cards, you're probably not taking green cards later because that color combination just doesn't naturally go together in this set. You want to try to stick to those wedges. And if you're marrying yourself to two colors early, like let's say pack one, you solidify two colors. It should be easy to find that third color on either side of the wedge um, in pack two or pack three. Um, but you may you want to make sure you're not all over the map and you want to make sure that you're not picking those cards that don't uh, don't go together. I also had success drafting predominantly two colors with a light touch of the third, predominantly for morphs or some of the more powerful effects. There are gold cards there. So it was not uncommon to see a black white warriors deck. That was one of the most fun decks that I can remember from that that set, but touching green a little bit for some activated abilities or sometimes touching red a little bit for some of those activated abilities. Yeah. And it became really easy to play that if you just picked up a couple of dual lands. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was, it was very easy to pick up, you know, three, four dual lands that touched all of your colors. And you might have a combination like in Mardu, you might have, you know, two black, white, and then, you know, a uh, black, red, and a, was there a black, red? I don't, I don't remember. A white, red for sure. But you might, you might have kind of run the gambit of, of all of those color combinations in your lands. And it was just really easy to, to cast those off color or those splash color cards um, in your, in your three color deck. Yeah. There was a duel for every color, every color combination. There um, were the full 10. Okay. Yeah. There were the full 10. They had all of them. Um, so you've, you've got that there. And then it's also worth mentioning here that like five color was not crazy in this format where you basically just take all the good cards, particularly morphs, if you can get them, but all the good gold cards. And then if there's not an amazing gold card in the pack, just take a dual land. Yeah. I seem to remember actually picking nothing but fixing in pack one, because there was a guaranteed land in every pack, right? There's a guaranteed dual land in every pack. I think, I think so. I think it was pretty close to that. They might have been fetch lands at times, but I'm pretty sure the basic land slot was just a dual land most of the time or all of the time. I'm going to have to look that up. Double check on that one for us, uh, listener audience. But basically, you would prioritize fixing over everything. And then in pack two and pack three, when everybody else was fighting for the fixing, you just took every bomb. Doesn't matter the color, doesn't matter whatever. Casting cost, who cares? Just grab every single bomb card. And all of a sudden, your deck was, you know, 20, 23 amazing cards seven or eight fixing um a few basics and then you know like a thin sideboard but usually your sideboard didn't matter at that point so i I had some where i ended up with 10 duels i can remember doing that yeah and uh usually i mean i picked those early but i mean whatever like five color was playable it was definitely an archetype usually only supported one drafter because you would know fairly quickly if somebody that was passing to you was cutting you off of those dual lands um, but I mean, the risk was so low to, to try to go for it usually because, um, I mean, you're going to use the fixing anyway in, in your mm-hmm. three color deck. So, yeah. 
Okay. Uh, archetypes that were fun. You mentioned warriors. Warriors were a lot of fun. There was two warrior lords, I believe. Um, the I don't remember the names, but there was the the one that t- uh, gave toughness to every all your warriors, and the ones that gave power to all your warriors. I believe the power one was higher priority. Chief of the scale and chief of the edge. Correct. Correct. Uh, and they you were both. Them. They were both uh, two casting costs, and they were both black white to cast, mm-hmm. um, which is actually surprisingly easy in this format. It was it was fairly trivial to get uh, you know a black and a white on turn two, and uh, there was lots of token makers for warriors. Um, most sets have like soldiers, and this set had warriors for for their kind of their common one one creatures. Uh, and there were warriors in pretty much every color. Uh, I want to say maybe not blue, but definitely black, white, and red. Um, and even green had their fair share of warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want those anthem cards, the token makers. Uh, Mardu Warchief was the white um, two or three drop that made a one one warrior when after if you attack that turn. So that was a really good value you get. You could jam in with your morph, trade for their morph. You know, kind of like revolt in in Aether revolt um, and, and get a bonus one one out of it. So. Very cool cards in that warrior warrior um, archetype. And the others kind of just followed the clans, whereas Mardu was, generally speaking, trying to be aggressive, uh, attacking on the ground, using removal spells to clear blockers out of the way. Abzan would do some of that, but then could also go into kind of a ground stall game. Their uh, mechanic was Outlast, where they could make their dudes bigger over time. So like a ground stall kind of favored them. Their stuff was going to keep growing until eventually you had to trade with it. Jeskai was kind of the tricky one that was the red, white, and blue, or blue, white, and red, I suppose, depending on your nationality uh, clan, where they're looking to... There was the first time we saw Prowess, but play dudes, play counterspells, play removals, and, and kind of have some tricksy stuff going on. Um, Sultai, I would say, was probably more of a value style, where you're going to have some some looting. Um, you're going to have the good removal from black. You're, you're potentially going to have counterspells. There were shenanigans you could do to fuel delve. I don't remember much of that paying off, like Tyagom scheming and stuff like that. You could get absurd starts, but generally speaking, I, I don't think you were supposed to go crazy about that. You're just supposed to have the good green creatures, um, the value stuff from blue, and the removal from black, and you were generally pretty happy with that. And then Teamer was kind of about casting big, 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 big things and attacking with them. Oh, just big dumb things. I really like Teamer. Teamer and Abzan, I think, were my two kind of favorite uh, wedges to to draft, I think. Mardu for life, man. <laughs> Mardu for life. The reason why I liked Abzan is I think um, their morph creatures, like there was um, a couple of really good morph creatures in the Abzan colors, uh, one of which was the Lifelinker, the 4-4 Lifelink for 5 morph, which is just a stupid card. Like a 4-4 Lifelink that you can play on turn 3 if you really need to as a face-down creature is just busted i i first picked that card out of a couple of packs i'm not gonna lie might have done that off stream so people wouldn't have judged me but i did <laughs> i did enjoy i did enjoy the the abzan but the other thing i liked about abzan and this is kind of one of the other archetypes is you mentioned the outlast not only is there the outlast plus one plus one counter synergy but there was also a kind of a sliver theme where creatures that had plus one plus one counters would sometimes pick up abilities from other creatures so for example there's a creature that gave all of your plus one plus or all creatures with plus one plus one counters on it on your side of the table lifelink there's one for flying there's one for reach one for um, death touch one for death touch uh, one for first strike so like i can count like at least 10 times that i can remember i'm sure where i had uh like a first strike death touch creature 
Um, and I actually had multiple of them because of the outlast ability. And then there were combat tricks that would put plus one, plus one counters on your creatures at instant speed. And it's like, like feet of resistance, plus one, plus one to give your creature, uh, protection or indestructible. I don't remember which I think it was protection from a color. And, you know, in that, in that, in that archetype, it was just, you could just blow out your opponents with some ridiculous things and then still have this amazing, like four or five first strike lifelink flyer on the table. Um, and that was not that hard to do. That was not that hard to accomplish in those colors. So that was one of my favorite archetypes to draft. It didn't, it didn't come around very often, but when it did, oh boy. Abzan was very good, especially with those counter themes. What was the first set you started streaming with? Um, you know, it might have been cons. I think it was. I think that might have something to do with how why you enjoyed it so much too. Like the set is amazing and it's a lot of fun, but I bet you have some fond memories of streaming with this one because the first stream of yours I can remember watching was a cons one. I think I think you were probably right. Um, definitely, I did I did some YouTube videos in Theros Block, but um, I, it was I think it was cons for sure. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. I I drafted a lot of cons in paper too. So. The other things I want to, one other thing I want to talk about is, or mention is just the charms. I think all the charms were good. Um, we, we talked about this in the return to Ravnica one where the, the charms, most of the charms were good. The, the same thing kind of applies here. I, I think they got better here. They're a little harder to cast, but most of the time you're going to have uh, one or two really good modes on these cards and the flexibility is kind of amazing. So and don't, don't be, be afraid to pick up charms. Yeah. Don't be afraid to first pick a, a tricolor card. Because you're not really limiting yourself here. It's much like as when we talked about the Return to Ravnica podcast, you're going to be playing three colors. So picking a black card isn't actually leaving you that open unless it's it's leaving you a little bit more open than picking, say, a black white card, but not much more open than you're used to because it can really only go in two of those those uh, wedges. Yeah. Anyway, have fun. Share with us your draft decks. Play it all week because... Um... Yeah, I think Moto needs a little bit of the Moto team needs a little bit of your love this week. So uh, let's go out and re- let's go out and thank them for the hard work that they do, maybe, and and draft to some cons because I was going to draft it anyway next week or whatever it was supposed to come out. So I might as well draft it a week early. Heck yeah, I'll be drafting it all week, man. Heck yes, indeed. And streamer showdown tomorrow or Thursday. So I guess you're going to be listening to this after. So I'm not even going to advertise it. Yeah, whatever. We'll talk about it next time. You can go back and watch the replay and see how I won. There you go. There you go. All right. So our main topic today is we wanted to talk about um, a couple of things. First, we want to talk about expected value and the concept of, of EV as, as we refer to it uh, in the professional uh, podcasting world. We're so professional. And we're so professional. And then uh, we wanted to talk about kind of the different event types that you can get into on Magic Online. So all the different queues and leagues and kind of break those down in the in an expected value kind of concept and kind of give you the tools give you the idea of what you need to look for when you're trying to stretch your magic online dollar as far as you can um which is important you know like a lot of people don't have infinite funds to play with and drafting or or playing constructed for as cheap uh as possible or for as long as possible on, on your investment in magic online is a very important concept so uh, hopefully we can give you the tools and kind of give you that direction. If you're new to Magic Online um, or thinking about getting onto Magic Online, this this will be a great start. And even if you're experienced in it, um, you know, maybe we can give you kind of the lowdown on a couple of the formats that you haven't played before. Um, and uh, and then you can decide if they're for you without trying them. So, so without further ado, what do you know about expected value? How would you define expected value to somebody that 
maybe didn't know anything about, you know, the concept of poker or, or from poker or magic or anything like that. How would you describe expected value? For the amount of dollar that you spend, what do you expect your return to be on that dollar? Perfect. So I like the example of a coin flip. So you and I, we're, 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 we're playing a game. Okay. Okay. If you're going to flip a coin and I'm going to give you a certain amount of money based on the outcome of that flip. So it's not going to cost you anything. It's not a bet. Okay. It's, it's just for keeping it simple. So I'm going to give you a dollar if you flip heads and I'm going to give you zero dollars if you flip tails. So what is your expected value on the outcome of that flip? 50 cents. 50 cents. And now, are the math these, on that is simple. Are, are these uh, 50 American cents or 50 Canadian cents? 50 Canadian cents. Okay, so well, it's, it's like less cents. value. It's less value, but still, less still value. value, still value. It's free value, right? It, it didn't cost you anything, right? So every time you flip the coin, you're going to either get a dollar or zero and it's 50, 50. So basically you say 50% of the time you get a dollar, 50% of the time you get zero. You average those out, you multiply that out. And over the long haul, you can expect to get 50 cents a flip. So if you flip that coin 10 times, you can expect to get $5. Now you're not always going to get $5 but you can expect to get $5. And that's how you kind of make your decisions in terms of EV. Mm-hmm. You can do this in life. You can do this in games. You can do this in Magic Online. You can do this in in all sorts of things, investment. You can do all sorts of things like that. But basically you take all of the expected outcomes, so all of the different endpoints you can end up at, the value of each one of those, multiply by the probability that you're going to get there, add all those numbers up, and then that's your expected value. So now how does it change if you, if it's costing you money to enter? So how does it cost if now, if it was a wager? So now I say to you, okay, I will bet you a dollar on the outcome of a flip. If I win, you give me a dollar. If you win, I give you a dollar. Now, what is your expected outcome on that flip? I was going to give me a way easier example. (laughs) So we're just flipping a coin for a dollar. Yeah, but. You're losing a dollar on one flip and you are gaining a dollar on the other flip. Oh, well, that's still, that doesn't change. It, well, it, it does change. It's, your expected outcome is not 50 cents anymore. It's zero, right? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Half, half of the time you're losing a dollar and half the time you're gaining a dollar. So those basically just cancel each other out. So once you throw your own cost in there, you know, you have to kind of factor that into your expected value. So in that case, what's the point of playing that game with me? There is no point except to have fun and maybe to gamble because over the long haul, you're not going to win anything. It's just going to be a waste of time for you. So now it kind of factors out how much fun are you having? You know, is it worth your time? Whatever. Now let's take that one step further, which is kind of closer to, um, you know, to, to most things in life where, you know, if you're playing the lottery or something like that, I do not advocate playing the lottery unless you enjoy it, but please don't. Now, if you lose the flip, you're going to give me $2. And if you win the flip, I'm going to give you $1. All right. So 50% of the time you're losing $2 and 50% of the time you're gaining a dollar. Your expected value is now negative $1. Every flip is costing you a dollar. All right. So that's, that's the different range of expected values you can have, right? You can have ones where it's always positive. You can have ones where it's negative and you can have one where it's ones where it's neutral. The negative one, that concept applies mostly to things like, you know, casinos and um, uh, online poker where there's a rake and lotteries and things like that, where if you play over a long enough period of time, you will lose all of your money. 
And that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, like, you know, obviously I say casinos and lotteries and things like that. And, and you know, you're losing, but a lot of the things that you do in life, you're not going to get money back out of them, right? Like you're going to go and you're going to, you're going to go play paintball and it's going to cost you $50 and you're not going to get any expected value back out of that. So from a purely monetary and a numeric perspective, you know, you have to kind of accept the fact that a lot of things that you're going to do magic online included, you're just generally speaking, you're just going to slowly bleed money over time. Okay, that's not a bad thing. But what you want to do is, especially when it comes to Magic Online, is you probably want to draft for as cheap or as limited as possible. Um, Keep your investment as small as possible so you can stretch that dollar out and maximize the amount of time you're playing. That is the key concept that I think we want to drive home here today. Yeah, and I I would argue that fun plays a big part in EV as well. Because we're going to look at some of these that are actually negative EV to play that I still play in stream because it's fun. So Dave's paintball example is a perfect one there. You're not getting any money back from playing paintball, but shooting Dave in the face with a paintball gun, that sounds like fun. Uh, Remind me to tell you the story about my stag party where I got shot in the face by a paintball gun. Another another time, perhaps, but it, it was definitely expect uh, plus expected value plus EV for for the opponent that shot me in the face. Men from Moto after hours, <laughs> something like that. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you do have to factor that in because, like I said, like you can't. There's a lot of things in life that cost money. You can't do everything for free. You can't do everything and make a profit off of it. Um, so it's how you value your time and how much you enjoy playing Magic Online. In fact, I would argue that you know if you look at the expected value out of all of the magic events online, it is very difficult to find one that is that you can sustain or, or make money on at, at the average win rate. So even like a 60% win rate, it's tough to find events online that you can make a living on, that you can keep playing without spending any money. Um, and even if you do, that amount of money that you're bringing in is so low that it's you might as well just go flip burgers for $6 an hour or whatever minimum wage is these days. So a lot of people cannot play Magic Online and profit. That's just the reality of it. But a lot of people can play Magic Online and take their $50 investment and do, you know, 25 drafts. You know, draft for much cheaper than it is in paper, for example. And that that's that's the key here is that not everybody can, can draft for free. A lot of people can't. I think actually... I would even estimate like maybe like a tenth of a percent of people can draft for free. It's It's really tough to say. But enjoy your time. And maybe just stretch that time out a little bit further using some of the tips here um, or picking the, the right event for you um, to maximize both your fun and your Magic Online dollar. Sounds reasonable to me, Dave. What should I be playing? <laughs> that depends. So I did a quick scan and I don't know where along the way all of these events came from, but there's an insane amount of choice on Magic Online these days. It's it's kind of insane. So Personally, I like the draft leagues, which have been around for a while now, and they're a massive success. I know you like the sealed leagues, and you do quite well at them, but you also do PPTQs um, and the occasional PTQ. There is constructed leagues, which I don't touch with a 10-foot pole. I don't really play constructed, um, but I know you were doing modern leagues. Yeah, I have been. I plan on doing those again, and the constructed leagues are fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. There you go. So you can basically take... The, all of the play options online are kind of on a, on a few different axes. So you can have, okay, how competitive is the is the prize payout? So that's one thing you need to look at. So there's friendly prize payout all the way up to competitive prize payout. Then there's, do you want league or do you want queues? Do you want limited or constructed? 
okay, what kind of constructed? Okay, what kind of limited? Like you can kind of pick and choose and make your own, not really make your own event, but there will be an event for you. Um, even all the way up to the hyper competitive PPTQs and eventually the PTQs. So mm-hmm. I say we start at the bottom. We'll start at limited uh, draft leagues. There's a few different uh, types of leagues, not really any queues. I think we're going to avoid those. There's there's a couple of queues that it seems nobody really plays. And then we'll work our way up to the constructed and kind of the top level, top level events that people may aspire to get to. Absolutely. So, and I, I want to mention too, a lot of the information that we're going to share with you here is coming from the GoBots.com EV calculator. You can yes. go to their website. You can look at this information. You can model it to fit your needs. We're going to kind of walk you through what they are, but I, I like to share where we're getting this information from and where people can go find it. Uh, so it's GoBots.com. They're a MTGO um, bot vendor. You just click the button that says EV calculator, and you can look up all this information yourself if you want to walk through it and, and put in your own numbers. Perfect. Actually, that's why don't we just look at that tool really quickly um, and and describe it uh, how people would use it. So, when you load up the tool, you'll plug in your win percentage. If you don't know your win percentage, you can guess. What this is doing is this is telling you based on your average win percentage how much can you expect to win or lose. So you plug in your number. I'm about an eighty five. No, sorry, I'm not about an eighty five. <laughs> nice try. But let, let's just let's just say your average maybe person that plays Magic Online is probably above a fifty percent win rate. So let's just say like a fifty five percent win rate. Well, I think your so average right there, person would have to be a fifty percent win rate, wouldn't they? I think the average person that plays on Magic Online is better than fifty percent, to be honest. But okay, whatever. You plug in your number. I'm going to put in fifty five percent. Okay. As you enter that number, you see all of these numbers underneath it change. And what those numbers where it says limited and constructed and it gives you all the different events and it gives you a plus or minus, a positive or negative number next to it. What you're looking for there is what is that? That is saying is that is saying per event on average, you will gain or lose that many tickets on Magic Online. Now that is taking into account a couple of things. And this is really key when it goes to kind of stretching your Magic Online dollar as far as you can. Number one, you're buying packs from bots or from moda or like a magic from wizards themselves or whatever you're minimizing the cost of your entry fee to the lowest number possible so that means you're buying packs for as cheap as possible and if it's not less than 12 tickets or whatever the 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 kind of base entry fee is for your event if it's not economical to buy packs then you're just spending that 12 tickets or your 120 play points on the event so you're trying to draft for as cheap as possible that is number one Number two is it's expected that you're selling whatever you can out of the packs that you open. So that means every rare that you open that's worth money, every foil uncommon that's worth money, every whatever, everything that's worth money, you're trying to sell those back to bots to get as much value out of them as possible. So all the, the EV calculator here is taking all of that into account and it's saying, okay, at a 55% win rate, for example, your best bet to play as much magic as possible on your dollar is the sealed friendly league adding zero packs. That's what the plus zero means. So for every sealed league that you play, which is 24 tickets to enter, 22 tickets to enter, uh, about 22 tickets, 24, I think if you pay the full ticket price, but 22.44, if you pay four event tickets, buy four Aether revolt boosters from bots and two Kaladesh boosters from bots, which this is considering you will do. Bingo. So right there, you're already saving, you know, almost two tickets off the entry fee. But for every one of these you play over the long haul, you can expect to get back 2.8 tickets. So about $2.80 in value. That's huge. Now, 
that's assuming obviously that you're not adding additional packs, which is what something you can do in this friendly league. But at a 55% win rate, you know, you can basically play for free right now for a very long period of time. It takes some assumptions into account, like, for example, that pack prices are where they are right now, that the values of rares in those packs will stay consistent, which they won't. They will go down over time. So these numbers will adjust, uh, you know, as inflation happens on the Magic Online economy. It also assumes that the the play points that you're getting back, that you are just kind of spending those as if they were tickets. So you're just recycling those back into the Magic Online economy. And, you know, because... You know, if you go six and three and you get 290 play points, for example, you can just play for free again, right? So you might as well. Um, so it's it's assuming all of these things that you value play points at that kind of, you know, 10 equals one ticket kind of thing. But that's really good value. The other thing that jumps out is as you look at these, constructed is always better value than limited. Constructed is always better value than limited. Um, and... I mean, I think we'll get into that next, but that is mm-hmm. interesting that that you don't need a very good win rate to be able to play constructed for essentially free. Um, you know, 55% win rate or even 60% win rate is three and two in every league. I think the constructed leads are five rounds. The five rounds, yeah. So if you, can, if you can go three, two, which a lot of people can do in their sleep, I think most of the time, with the occasional four, one, you know, you can play forever, mm-hmm. basically. You spend your initial investment on your deck, and you can play forever. So, so this is this, so this is really good. This is this is this is giving us an insight, I think, into the Magic Online economy and and what events you can play. So you can adjust that little slider. You can say, you know, what your win rate is. Some people know that it's sixty one point eight percent. Some people know that you know they win, they lose more than they win. But you can plug those numbers in, and you can see about what it's going to cost you, and you can create your budget based on that. That's and what I, I do. You actually track your win percentage, if I'm remembering correctly, right? I do. I've tracked every single game I've played on YouTube or stream um, for the last couple of years. So, Is that something you would encourage other people to do? I would actively encourage that you do that, uh, mostly from uh, tracking your investment perspective or tracking your cost perspective, but also gives you insights into play. And I think I talked about this a couple of episodes around the last episode where I have this weird anomaly in my play where the second set in a block is like really bad for me. And I noticed it in this one as well in Aether Revolt and I'm trying to figure out why that is and I think I've got myself out of that tailspin now but yeah you see interesting patterns in play and you can track like if you're like numbers like me you can track it like an accountant but yeah I mean for me just for example over my lifetime it cost me about a dollar eighty one one point eight tickets per draft on average so I'm not infinite but I mean two dollars a draft two dollars a draft is is nothing right like I mean I spend more than that on coffee in a week yeah yeah we can handle that so as far as fun goes, two dollars a draft at, at two hours a draft is a dollar an hour. I'm very very happy with that. So yeah. Anyway, okay, so let's go into the actual events. So you want to start with draft leagues? Absolutely. Okay. So the first up is the friendly. Now this is a new league, a new offering. Only in the last couple of months, I think. I don't know much about it except that it scares me a little bit. <laughs> it's complete. Excuse me. It's completely different than any other draft I've ever done before. So, but I know you've done at least one because you did a video for Seems Good. So what is a friendly draft league? That, I've done two of these now. They were actually a lot of fun. Um, essentially, you jump in and you draft like normal, and then you play league games like you normally would, except they are league games. They are not league matches. You're playing one game. You, I think it's 15 minutes that you get on your clock, which was a little freaky the first time I saw it. It's like, wait a minute, I'm already down. But you're only playing one game. It's best of one, if you will. 
you play until you have seven wins or four losses and then get a prize payout based on that. If at any point you have seven wins, you get your entry fee back, um, essentially, which is around uh, 120 play points. Um, there's no sideboard. It, I thought it was a little bit different format because there are no sideboarded games. Like you're, you can't play around what you saw in game one. Well, I know I need to play around destructive tampering because they blew me out with that in game one. Nah, there's that's not there. So it was a different way to play. One of the big advantages to something like this is if you only have 15 minutes to play a game of magic, you can actually do that now. Whereas in the past, you really needed to set aside at least 30 minutes for a league match. Whereas here, mm-hmm. you you could actually do this while you're taking a break from something else, play the entire game, and then be done with it and play another one some other time. I, I do like that they're going kind of the, uh, uh, you know, I hate to use the H word, but the Hearthstone uh, model, but I guess Eternal as well. Um mm-hmm model in the arena style where it's just like play to x wins or x losses and then get a prize based on that i kind of really like that um that concept the the no sideboarding thing kind of scares me but because it feels like it would be higher variance and you know me i don't like variance i like to keep things as controlled as possible um but the whole idea of pre-sideboarding and building your deck differently i think is is a very neat exercise and it does definitely intrigue me i kind of want to check one of these out um maybe i will try justifying it the I'd downside you to is to do one for at least fun. I will. The downside is the prizing, right? Like you look at the value of it and it's, I mean, actually it's better than all the other draft leagues that I do depending on the win rate. So um, the, the flat prize payout definitely rewards or not necessarily rewards it. it um, it's more friendly to, uh, to weaker, I say weaker players, but I mean players that don't win as often um, as kind of the more experienced players or the better players. So if you're looking you know, at like a 50, 55% win rate, your bleed is going to be a lot, lot less playing these than it would be competitive or intermediate draft leagues, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it punishes is the wrong word, but it does not reward the players with the really high win rate uh, because you're not, you're not winning anything out of this. At best, you can break even, mm-hmm. basically speaking. So your mileage may vary. It's a good place to start um, because you get so many matches. Like you can get up to 10 matches, right? You can go seven no. and three. No, that, or, that's the tricky part. You can get up to 10 games. Oh, sorry. 10 games. Sorry. 10 games, which is five matches, right? Which mm-hmm. is basically what you get out of most um, most leagues with the exception of the um, intermediate draft league. But your sealed leagues, you're getting at least five matches. So you're getting a lot of play for your, you know, on average two and a half tickets or whatever it's going to cost you depending on what your win rate is so i'm intrigued but it does scare me a little bit it's it's a lot of fun i've enjoyed these Uh, like i said i'm not going to sit there and jam them all day it's not really incentivized for i'm not the core audience for this that said it was a lot of fun and i enjoyed it and i I could certainly see it as a a quick thing to sit down and do and fun matters for ev that's something i'm going to harp on the whole time we're going through this like that's a lot of magic that you get to play for somewhere around two bucks worth of EV. So play it and enjoy it. Nice. Okay. So next up is my, I want to say favorite, but it's just the one that I play. It's the intermediate draft league. So this comes out of the six, two, two, two Qs for those that remember. Um, basically you pay your 12 tickets or your packs or whatever, which is actually down. I should mention that the, they recently lowered the cost of, of draft entry fees. So that, that kind of, plays into the 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 hands of the people or the, the wallets of the people that are have a lower win rate than some of the better players uh, because it is cheaper to to draft so 
12 tickets gets you in, $12 gets you in or packs. And if you go 3-0, you get six packs back. Uh, and if you go 2-1, any combination of 2-1, so it's you play three rounds guaranteed, uh, you get two packs back. So unless you are winning the whole thing, you are not profiting. Uh, or unless you open some like $10 card, you're not profiting. Um, but if you can go 2-1 and frequently enough, uh, your your bleed is also very slow. So um, depending on your win rate, I think I want to say around a 65% win rate is pretty close to where you start breaking even on this format. But it's funny, despite it being the format that I play the most, and I'm kind of a guy that likes my expected value, it appears to be the worst value out of all of the draft leagues that aren't flashbacks. Yeah, it, it's modeled off of the old Swiss style leagues, which were never the best value one um, as far as what money am I going to get back out of this as to what I put into it. However, they are typically very good for the money as far as entertainment value. Like I play a lot of these also. I do these for all of the videos that I do because it ensures that you get three rounds worth of magic. Um I also quite often do these on stream because again, sometimes you get a deck, you lose the first round and you're like, man, that was a cool deck. I wish I could have played some more with it. And you're able to do that here. So these are the worst just sheer dollar value worth of things here in in order to get them profitable. I think you have to get close to actually 70% before you're breaking even pretty close. Yeah. So yeah, your mileage may vary, but I really like the ability to play those three games and I like to, I think I learn a lot more if I draft a bad deck and go O2 drop than I do if I draft a bad deck in a competitive league and lose my first round and just say like, eh, variance, right? Or, oh, I got unlucky. No, if if I draft a bad deck and go O2, I learn a lot about that bad draft deck um, mm-hmm. that you can't get from those single elimination style, um, style formats. So when we had the old cues, you know, I would play eight fours because the the uh, the other options were either swiss which was pack per win so the best you could do is three oh actually i would play one of play those until i three owed and then i take those three packs and roll it into the eight four um but the one that existed between them was a five two 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 what was four three no, it was two not, two four three two two which from an expected value perspective is way worse because you'll, if you do the math on that, you were, there was one pack less of prize payouts, which didn't make any sense to me at all. So I just never played that. It was the golden rule. You just never played that. 6222 is a little bit different because at least, um, you know, there's, there's 12 packs of prizes going out, um, as opposed to 11 and, um, which, which is, which is a huge jump when it comes to the, to the expected value of the event. So I'm a big fan of 6222s, even though mathematically it says that I shouldn't. There's one other reason why I do the intermediate league over the competitive, because honestly, the competitive one appeals to me a little bit more. But for streaming purposes, those competitive leagues can take a while to fire. Yeah, they seem to be getting better lately, though. Like I see the numbers go up and up and up, but like there's only a sixth to an eighth of the people in the competitive leagues uh, as compared to the draft leagues. Maybe I'll try one of the intermediate leagues. Maybe I'll try one of the competitive leagues next time. I I haven't tried it in probably a good month just because I remember sitting there and waiting for 10 minutes for the first one to fire for, for a while. And I was like, this is, this is kind of awful. I don't, I I don't want to do that. I remember when we used to have to do that between rounds and like have separate games to play between rounds. So like I'm, I'm league spoiled. I'm absolutely league spoiled. But that moves us on to the competitive draft league as the next option here, which is essentially the same thing, but you're upping your entry cost because it's five tickets to enter as opposed to two tickets with the other ones. 
And then the prizes are a little more heavily weighted towards the top. Um, in addition to booster packs, there's also play points and extra qualifier points in these. So the, the EV is actually better here if once your win percentage gets significantly above 50%. Um, this is the one I should be playing in. And I, I, you know what? I'm going to give him another chance. It reminds me of the old 8.4s. I liked those. I, I, I think I'm probably close to 60%. I don't know. It's a guess. Oh, you got to be over 60%. Like, well, I haven't bought, I haven't spent money on Moto in a long time. So I'd, I'd imagine I'm close to it, but I sell just about everything I open. Like, that's certainly a part of it. But I, I'm going to give these another try. I, I think this is for the people who basically think they're good at drafting. If, if your rating is 1800 or better, you should probably be playing in these. Like, as I'm looking at these numbers, it actually seems silly that I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say so. Um, the, the upside of playing in the, in the competitives is you get, more than twice your entry fee back if you win it right you get actually it's three times your entry fee or uh three times your entry fee is that right one two uh, it's no, almost not quite it, it's not quite double it's not quite double because it's 15 30 yeah okay so sorry you get so you still get you get more than double actually more than double your entry fee back um i forgot that it was the extra three tickets which adds on which is actually significant so that's that's a definite downside if you're new or or you um, you don't have as high of a win rate as we're talking about here, um, because that extra three tickets can mean something to your Magic Online budget. I mean, some people have just oodles and oodles of money. Some people like to monitor how much they play, uh, how much they spend. So that extra three tickets, you know, if you look at the expected value of the intermediate drafts, for example, that's a, that's a whole extra draft you can play on average over the long haul. Um, and if you just get bounced in your in two competitive draft leagues, you're down thirty tickets, and you played two games, and it's kind of like well. Like, what do I do now, right? Like, uh, do, I, do I throw more money on Magic Online? So definitely start with the intermediate or the friendlies um, if you're not sure where you're at in the format or you're not sure you're at with Magic when it comes to drafting. And then bump up to the competitives um, once you have your handle or maybe once you've won a couple of the the lower ones and you you're feel confident about yourself and you can kind of take that money and, and watch it burn, as they say, um, move <laughs> it up to the next level and, uh, and and try your hand at the at the higher levels. So that's my recommendation anyway. Yeah, I'm with you there, Dave. I agree. Okay. Um, and then we've got the, I guess, the KTK, the cons flashback league, which is happening right now. Um, the, the prizes seem to be in a bit of flux right now. It seems like they had a bit of a mix-up, but it looks like they pay out. It should be the same as the intermediate or pretty close to the intermediate um, draft league. So, um, you know, do your math on that and, and see if you want to play cons, but you should play cons. It's a lot of yeah, that's one of those where you, you, it doesn't even matter if there's not prizes, like just play cons. Cons is a lot of fun. Put, put some value on fun. Now don't sit there and spend a million dollars doing it unless you've got a million dollars to spend, you know, be responsible, keep up with that. But cons was a lot of fun. Play the heck out of it. Yeah. Other draft formats, we've got the the queues, which I'm looking at it right now and I don't recommend playing that except for a fun, from a fun perspective, but you've got the previous block queue. So you've got uh eldritch moon and shadows which man these suck for payouts just don't play them you can take a look at the numbers yourself but um it's you know i guess it's a six two 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 so i guess the payouts aren't too bad the problem here is is that the pack prices are really high and the value you get out of the packs are really low that said if you're willing to money draft um that may be the case here in Eldritch Moon and Shadows over Innistrad, but quite often drafting the the set that is not the most recent one will have higher EV. 
because the cards are start, still in demand for standard. There's less of the packs being opened. So if you'll like, if you're going to go do these queues, go look up what the money cards are and just take them every time you see them. Like anything that's worth more than two bucks, grab it. And you can get good EV out of playing these. I've done that plenty of times, like gone back and drafted, you know, last year's draft set. And and you can actually be up EV from that, especially when you get into a situation where the booster packs are worth more uh, than four tickets. Like if you've got some laying around, go, go play in these events. It's a good way to burn your old packs if you forgot to sell them uh, before the rollover, the new set. So, okay. And then we've got seal leagues, which you are very experienced with. So uh, we've got two, we've got friendly and competitive. What's the big difference between the friendly and the competitive sealed leagues? I've honestly never played a friendly sealed league. Um, I'm, I'm, (gasps) it looks like it's a flatter uh, prize payout, which is my get. Like it's, it's not top weighted. Um, but I, I have always played the competitive sealed league. The EV is pretty good here. Like you can play close to, um, like what do you have to hit to play close to free? Like 57% win percentage gets you close to free. So that that's generally what I'm sitting and playing all day while I'm doing um, the competitive sealed leagues. I feel like a little bit heavier of a prize payout like that, like one that's weighted more towards higher reward for winning is going to draw better players. And I'm really playing these because it's practice for me for PPTQs and PTQs. So I want the most competitive play that I can possibly get. I want to be punished if I make a mistake so that I won't make the mistake again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I agree with you. Like, definitely, the higher the prize payouts, it seems the the more competitive the players. Um, the draft leagues are a little weird for that because a lot of people congregate around the intermediate level um, just to get the cues to fire. But definitely in sealed leagues, I think you see the the difference in numbers. The big difference between the two is the number of matches you play, as well as the friendly. You have the option to add packs between rounds or between um, sprints. So friendly, you play nine matches, and every three. You can add another packs. So you can add up to two packs to your pool. Competitive, you just get five and you don't get to add packs. So again, it, it simulates that competitive tournament experience where friendly is more like going to your local game store and playing in a draft or in a sealed league that goes a couple of weeks. Now, in the friendly league, when you're adding packs, obviously that's going to hit your the the your expected value. You have to pay full price or bought price for that pack. You actually have to get a physical pack and open it. Um, so that's going to up the cost of your entry fee by a full pack, whatever that amount is. So when you're looking at the the GoatBots EV calculator, there's three different options for friendly sealed. There's plus zero, plus one, plus two. So plus zero is adding no packs and plus one and plus two are adding one and two packs respectively. So as you fiddle with those numbers, you can see that obviously adding zero packs means that you're getting more value out of it. But you probably have to adjust your win rate slightly because you're probably going to be playing against people that did add packs to their pool and maybe got an extra point or two win rate. So you kind of need to make that, you kind of need to decide on that. Do you want to add packs and spend that extra money? I don't think it's worth it because I don't think you get extra win percentage out of your packs. I don't think you get that much. That being said, you're probably going to run into people that ended up doing that and and maybe they opened a bomb. Maybe it's Maybe it sucks that way, but you kind of you know, kind of figure out what you want to do there. Personally, if I played it and I would not add packs and I would just kind of adjust my win rate down slightly for the last two um, kind of sprints, like games four to nine, I guess. Um, And if I didn't, 
you know, if I won at the same rate because, you know, I, I, my pool was good to begin with, or because I didn't run into people that improved their pool or just didn't matter overall because this, the chance of running into that person or those, those people that opened good cards in their second and third packs is so small, you know, figure out what, what works for you. But generally speaking, these sealed leagues have really good value. Not only do you play a ton of games, but if you open no packs, you know, you can get almost four tickets per at like a 57% win rate, which is the number that I'm looking at right now. So that's really good value. I don't know what you think about that one. You kind of gave me a face here as, uh, as I mentioned, you know, adding packs. Yeah. Just after looking through it, um, I, I, I really don't have any experience playing that one. I thought I had heard somewhere and this may be old news that if you didn't add packs, you played against other people who didn't add packs. Oh, that would be great because I would never add packs. Like I wouldn't even think about it. I just play against people that only had six packs. I don't know. Um, I don't know if they would tell us that if we asked them. Maybe we should ping them on Twitter, the uh, Lee Sharp or something, somebody like that. Maybe we should ask them. But I just assume that if I don't add packs and everybody else does, that that's just how it is, and I'm just going to end up people playing playing against people that have the same record as I do. Do you think it would be worth it? It's probably not because of the level of competition, but pretending like a seal league is like day one of a gp and as you win that the people around you just get better and better like their pools get bombier and bombier while you stay the same because you're playing against people with the same record that's an interesting mental exercise and it sounds like a fun way to go through and play those if if that is indeed the way that they work i i've having played day one of a gp many times with zero buys the decks don't always get better as you advance, although generally speaking, the the players will get better. So like you you would sometimes sit down against somebody who wasn't a particularly good player, but had a great deck. But like over time, if, if you look at people who are successful and sealed over and over and over, I've, I've seen like I, I can remember I played against Owen Turtonwald at a GP and they were, they were very good games and I ended up losing. And I, I've looked at some of the sealed decks that this guy has submitted and he's won with just awful pools. Like he's made day two with pools that were terrible. Now he walks in and gets three buys. He's a pro player. I understand that. But he's still able to make a positive record with just garbage pools. The pool doesn't have as much to do with sealed as the player does. I, I firmly believe that to be the case. And one day we're going to do a sealed episode. And I can battle <laughs> about that forever because I, I, sealed is my favorite format. I would rather play sealed than booster draft. I'm the opposite, but I mean, I respect the sealed. Uh, I think I just don't understand it. So, okay. I mean, I have done the friendly. Um, I've added packs. I've not added packs and, and I've kind of enjoyed both times. Nine games is a lot. Some people don't like playing nine games of the same deck. So if that's the case, you know, play the sealed or the, the, the competitive sealed, you know, going four and one with the occasional three and two in the competitive sealed will keep you fairly, fairly firm in the, in, in the black making, half a ticket here and half a ticket there. So, um, so I think that's about it for the limited leagues. And now we've got the constructed kind of options. So I'm not going to lie to you. I don't play any constructed on magic online. Um, and I think you really only do the leagues, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I have played in, uh, uh, a modern PPTQ and then got the finals token. And so played in a PTQ finals for modern came in ninth. Just, just how's, almost how's that feel? not as bad as coming in like zero two drop, but I mean, it would have been better to, to just have a little bit better tiebreakers. 
Um, but I, I've, I've had some experience playing in these. That experience was playing in the competitive leagues as opposed to the uh, friendly leagues. But it's kind of the same conversation we had earlier. The competitive one, the higher your win percentage goes, the better EV that is for you. Um, if you start out at just 50% with the competitive leagues, now you do have to buy the deck, right? Like, yes. That's not counting any of this. It's only count, counting the entry cost, which is eight tickets for a friendly league, 12 tickets for a competitive one. But with either of those, just at a 50% win rate, you're basically playing for free. As you slide that little bar further, once you hit, um, I think it's 60%. No, no, no. It's actually sooner than that. Once, yeah, every point you tick that past 50, the um, competitive league starts to get ahead. It's 53% where the competitive league is better value for you. So that's what I played in while I was learning modern and getting used to modern. Had a very good experience in those. And like people want to say, how can you play infinite on magic online? The actual answer is don't play limited, play constructed. Buy a deck and play that. Playing limited um, infinite is super hard to do. I have maintained it basically since uh, Vintage Masters was out was the last time that I bought packs. But that has been in basically selling every single rare that I open that I can possibly sell, selling most of the uncommons that I draft as soon as a new set comes out. And that has been supplemented by playing Constructed. Like I, I was doing way better with my MTGO wallet with when I was playing constructed than I was when I was focused only on limited. And that's one of the reasons, frankly, that I'm, I'm wanting to play modern again is like, it's a great way to build up some of those play points to go barn on a draft. Yeah. And if, if you can get over that initial investment, which to be honest is not a ton for a lot of decks, like you can play most, most decks in magic online for a fraction of what it costs in paper. Um, and you just, I guess, sell the cards like like essentially rent the cards and get out of decks when you're bored with it or get out of decks before the the price crashes kind of thing if you can kind of manage the cost of your deck um you know it, it's it seems pretty easy to, to play for free so um you yeah, know maybe that's something i should do i don't yeah, know it, I, hate, it, I hate the idea of buying decks though well it's it's the idea of if it's standard the format is going to rotate um and, and like you're going to need to sell those cards and then get the next deck for standard or that sort of thing. I, I've I've enjoyed modern. That's a lot more expensive to buy into. But once you have your deck is not likely to change that much over time. So like there's always some new cards. I, I play Jund and modern. There's some new cards that are going to come in like we've needed to make fa room for fatal push in that. And there's occasionally cards that are going to go out but they'll still be valid sideboard options. Like I'm not selling my Olivia Valdarans right now because there may be a day where I want those back in the sideboard and John, for example. So like those staples you can always keep and keep around. But the, the short answer is that you, you can buy a cheap deck. Th these work too with like pauper leagues. There are some very expensive pauper decks, but you can get started playing leagues for under 50 bucks if that's what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And even if your deck is a tier two deck, you know, and you can if you can grind out that fifty five percent win rate with a tier two deck, then you're you're happily floating along on Magic Online, and and everything is good in the world. So indeed, indeed. Um, I guess treasure chests sell those treasure chests. Don't open them, right? Yeah, I've never actually been able to make myself do it. You always open them. Yeah, the, the, I have a little bit of criticism here. I don't think they should have been made tradable. I think they should have tacked these on above the other things and and not made it an EV thing because it's really fun to open the treasure chests. 
And I kind of feel bad every time I do it because I open them. I look at the cards and like once I opened a chalice of the void and I was like, heck yeah. And then another time I opened like 20 play points and some commons from the last draft set. And I was like, what? And Uh, like, I could have sold that for, you know, two bucks. And instead now I have this, it it, it was a feel bad moment. So I don't think those should be sellable, but I I may be in the minority here. Like if they were going to give us some form of value, then just give us another pack that we can sell or something like that. Cause there's so much fun to open. Like it's neat. You open it and you might get a cool card, but if, if you want to do this correctly, don't play the lottery, sell your treasure chests, sell your treasure chests, but open them because they're fun. Mm -hmm. You can't put an EV on my fun, Dave. I can absolutely put an EV on your fun because <laughs> I spend I spend money subscribed to your stream to watch you have fun and then in turn I have fun. Oh wow! So you can actually put EV on my. Fun. I can't actually put a dollar value. I'll on retract it. that it's, statement. It's, it's low value though. It's like I lose money all the time on that. <laughs> um. <laughs> so those are kind of like your like anybody can play easily kind of events. Then there's the next level up, and, and I don't want to really want to talk about it too much because it, I think it it might go above um, kind of the average podcast listener here. But the there are PT PPTQs, so the preliminary pro tour qualifiers, mm-hmm. which you play in a ton, and they are hard to get into because they are scheduled. So not a lot of people can play on a schedule. Not a lot of people can commit to a five round event that starts at a certain time, and you cannot play on demand. Um, but if you can, this is kind of your first step into, you know, basically the, the high money, the, the, the big ticket events on Magic Online, right? Yeah, absolutely. I play predominantly in the sealed ones, although I have played, again, I mentioned I've, I've done one modern PPTQ and then played in the finals of that. The, the sealed ones are roughly the same as the competitive sealed league as far as EV goes, except you can't really put a price on that token you get for going 4-1 and 5-0. and because that token is your invitation to another tournament, which is the PTQ Finals. For sealed events, that means you're getting six packs of cards that you open and build a deck from and you keep. So just stop right there. You're opening six packs, you're plus EV. You can put that token in, open the packs, drop from the tournament, keep the cards. Like, that's already good if you don't care about qualifying for the Pro Tour. Those events, the the PTQs typically pay out to the top 32. Now, you're going to be playing Magic for 10 hours at that PTQ. So let's bear that in mind. That's what you're doing that day. For me, that's what I'm doing that day anyway. I stream. It's great. I get to play Magic all day in a high EV tournament. It's a wonderful thing to do. The EV is even better pack-wise on the limited um, championship qualifiers that they're doing now. Like Those are heavier weighted towards packs because there's not an invite to the Pro Tour that's associated with it. The big thing for me is I would like to make it on the Pro Tour my goal is more to make it onto the pro tour to promote the stream than it is to make it onto the pro tour to make it onto the pro tour, <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing, but I think it'd be really cool to win a PTQ online while I'm streaming it. That's what I want to do. So that's why I'm playing in these so much. If you're a competitive player and you can stick to these schedules, it's great EV because again, you're, you're close to the competitive sealed leagues anyway. So if you like that, the, the EV is about the same. Just bear in mind, you're going to have some downtime between rounds so have a stream pulled up to watch. I'd recommend me. You can also watch this guy, Dave, if you like. Um, have another game to play. Have a book to read. Whatever it is you want to do, you're going to have some downtime between matches. But the EV's there. And if you want to go to the Pro Tour and you're not going to local PTQs for some reason, this is this is a fantastic way to do it. 
Yes. And when you win those tokens, like you said, it's just free, free value as long as you have 10 hours to spend. So if you value your time at less than two tickets an hour, you're in. I will also say this, um, a big part of why I've been able to play magic online, um, infinite is because I have top aided three PTQs online. If you manage to top eight, one of the PTQ finals, uh, you get so much prizing that you kind of don't have to worry about magic money for a long, long time. Um, it's good. So th- good that, that's a big part of it too, is like I'm grinding out value from every draft that I do, but top eighting one of those major events kind of does cover your magic budget for six months, a year or whatever, depending on how much you play. And I play a lot. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's the, it is the kind of one of the premier events online. So it does make sense that, that it is a very top heavy payout um and and winning or top eighting or top 32ing should give you some kind of good value out of it so mm-hmm. i'm glad that those reward i wish i could play in one i just can't commit to the 10 hours i can't even commit to the five hours of a ptq that's or pptq that's scheduled but one day maybe one day maybe i will get there um and then you mentioned the limited online championships and the mocks or you guess you didn't mention the mocks but the mocks is the other one so I get these two confused. So one of them you have to play in qualifiers to get into, and the other one you can enter with your qualifier points that you get from 3-0ing drafts, I think. Mm-hmm. So which, the, is, which is which? The limited championships is one tournament that's done every time a new set is released. They'll have qualifiers for it, which are basically like PPTQs, but with even better pack-heavy prize structure. And then you play in a finals where the person who wins basically gets... I don't know, five years worth of moto box. Like it's, <laughs> it's an absurd prize payout. The, the only reason I'm not playing in those is the person who wins that tournament doesn't go to the pro tour. They're just the, the you win a bunch of packs. So imagine it as like, it's a, it's definitely a premier event and it's a great one to be playing in. And if I was going to stream both days over the weekend, I would be streaming both of them. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that event, but I'm choosing to prioritize the the PTQs. And the mocks, you have to spend your qualifier points to get into the qualifier to get into the mocks. Correct. I'm going to be taking a bigger look at that this year. Last year, um, you basically had to play Constructed in order to participate in the mocks finals, which was something that turned me off to it a little bit. That said, since I accidentally won a paper PPTQ and then qualified for a regional PTQ online and had to play Modern... Um, I actually decided I kind of like modern and I kind of like playing Jund. So constructed's not out of the question for me anymore. Like I'm even thinking about standard these days. So there's, there's no reason for me not to be participating in the mocks now. Um, it, it does mean that you need to fully embrace the entirety of the game. A- at least it did last year. I need to really brush up on the rules this year, but last year you needed to be playing, um, some constructed format in order to qualify for it. So I, I don't know as much as I'd like to about that, but that's something I'm looking to get into more. Yeah, and this this probably isn't the podcast for that. Um, you know, you can find that kind of information online. You just, you know, hit up Twitter, hit up the Wizards website. They have a nice little infographic as to how you qualify for the mocks. Mm-hmm. And it has nice, nice little arrows and a lot of boxes on it. And I don't remember. All I remember is that uh, I, I do have a handful of qualifier points that uh, that I never used because there was one limited mocks last year, I think, that I to qualify for. And I was not able to play. Uh, around that time so it was a little sad but um you know one day i'll get there one day i'll get there 
they also nerfed the amount of QPs you get from the intermediate drafts. You used to get a good number of them, and then they cut that for, for good reason. I mean, they did cut down the entry fee, so I fully understand that. But um, They also want to hedge the people that are interested in the mocks to play in the competitive uh, draft mm-hmm. leagues anyway, which I, I think which, is a good idea. It makes sense. Like different, different, uh, different pools for different sharks. So, all right. Well, that pretty much runs down all of the event types. Oh, except the queues. We didn't talk about the two player. No, we did talk about the two player queues. Don't play the two player queues. Like if you're going to play a two player queue, you're just throwing money out the window. Um, just go play in a, in a league instead, play five games instead of one. Who cares? Um, just don't play the two player queues. That's all I ask. The only thing I would say about the two player queues is I have played them on occasion it's a great way to sit down and test a new deck that you have brewed. You're just spending a dollar to do it. Right? Sure. Like if you're, I, if you're willing to pay a dollar to get a competitive game with a new deck, go ahead and do that. Right? Like if I've just brewed something and I don't necessarily want to run it into a competitive league and maybe end up paying $12 to lose five games in a row, like that's what it exists for. It, it is not there for you to sit here and jam two player queues all day. There you go. Um, even then just find a buddy that plays on magic online and, and grind some games out with it. But yeah, no, you're, you're right. I, I definitely what see if, the, the, the purpose there. What if you don't have any friends? I'm your friend. You never okay. asked me to play modern with you. Yeah. That, well, um, you, 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 didn't say like, you need to find a friend who's good at magic, which I think would or, matter. if you're wanting to test a new deck, uh, especially good at modern, yeah. I think I've played modern once and that was by accident. <laughs> I, I took a standard deck to a modern event uh, at FNM. So, you know, how'd that work? What out am I going to do? I'm not, I'm not going to go home. I don't know. I went like one, three nice. didn't cost me any money. So yeah. Anyway, that's another story for another day. So, all right. So that's pretty much all the event types you can play. Uh, there's new player events. We didn't talk about, but you only get a handful of those when you buy your account. Those are very cool. You should play those if you're a new player. And that's all I got to say about those. And I'll wrap it up with, again, don't try to put an EV on your fun. As long as you're enjoying what you're doing, play whatever format it is that makes you happy. I'm not suggesting that anybody should prioritize, you know, the two cents you're going to make off of the sealed friendly league over the three cents you're going to lose over the competitive draft. Like, like, don't worry about that. If, if you only want to play in competitive events, even if you're not good, as long as you can afford it, play whatever makes you happy, man. Like you can't put a price on fun. That is true. You can put a price on happiness, though. Yes, it's exactly a buck oh five. <laughs> All right. So you want to move into our next topic to kind of round out the this week's episode? Yeah, we need to uh, pull out your soapbox here, right, Dave? Uh, my soapbox. This, yeah. Which, okay. Back it up a little bit. Real so last one week ago. So one week ago, I was browsing uh, the magic subreddit. And I think somebody was asking about Magic Online or how do I get into Magic Online or something. I don't remember exactly what it was. All I remember is that like the first five comments in the thread were don't play Magic Online. Don't don't play MTGO. Don't. It sucks. It's the interface is from the 90s and and, you know, it crashes all the time and there's bugs everywhere and everything sucks and you have to pay them to play and rabble, 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 rabble that's this is one of my biggest pet peeves about magic online so i'm gonna flash back a couple of years so i started playing i started watching people play magic online on youtube uh with the version 3 interface so the interface before this one and let me tell you that was nothing to write home about that was not special there was nothing special about that 
I actually started playing because of the current version of Magic Online. And when it first came out, there was a lot of people that were down on it. You know, it was buggy. It crashed. Events crashed. The interface, people thought it, you know, the interface was terrible. It looks like it's made in the year 2000. I've heard all of these things. And I am absolutely tired of the baseless, rampant crap talking that people just have about Magic Online because they had bad initial experiences with it like three years ago. There are people on there that will do nothing but crap talk and and on Reddit and on Twitter and on everything for no good reason, okay? They got burned by it once or they never played it at all and they're just feeding off of what everybody else said three years ago and they have not come back to see that draft leagues are amazing. They have not come back to see that the costs of playing Magic Online have come down. They're not coming back to see a mostly stable, and I say this because you know, they had some crashes this week, which sucks for timing of this, but the magic online experience these days for me and for a lot of players, I think for your average player is 99%, 99.9% positive. And I think it gets a lot of unjustified hate and you just get a lot of people that, that talk negatively about it when they don't know what they're talking about. And this bothers me. Now, that being said, There are times for criticism. There are cards in old formats, for example, that are buggy and that haven't been fixed in a while because Magic Online is this huge beast and I don't know the ins and outs of the the development team for Magic Online. There are things that they need to improve on, but they are improving and Magic Online is the best experience you can have playing Magic online. I do not advocate for any of the three free i use in in quotes like i can see the air quotes i do not advocate for i'm not even going to name them i do not advocate for any of them i have tried some of them before i started playing my magic online and they are terrible the events are terrible the interfaces are terrible the gameplay is terrible everything about those compared to magic online is just infinitely subpar they're just nothing compares to magic online magic online has its faults has its failings that everything is getting better. I had a crash last week, I think, when I was trying to do a draft video. Um, and I think uh, at, the, at the time, all of the leagues went down. There was a hiccup. They refunded everybody. Everybody got their money back. And it sucked that night because it ruined my, my draft video. But I can honestly say that that was only the second full-on crash that I've ever had on Magic Online in about three years of playing. Now, I don't play as much as you. I don't play as much as some of the big-time streamers. But I think for the average person... Magic Online is an extremely positive experience if you're looking to A, play Magic, and B, get better at playing Magic, and C, enjoy the time that you're investing in playing in Magic. And I think the people that are throwing out these these just stonewall, you know, I'm never going to touch Magic Online because I heard a bad thing about it once and I'm just going to repeat those negative things in my echo chamber over and over and over again, I, I, I think they do a disservice to the game and the and and the online environment and and i'm tired of it and then there was these problems this week and last week and it kind of really stabbed me in the heart because i was like oh man i'm gonna go to bat for you magic online now we've had all these problems so they definitely need to improve in certain areas but they are trending in the right direction um you know they can run these very large events and there there haven't been uh you know there haven't been it hasn't been a crash in the large event since I mean, it's been a while, you know, I think that the last one that I can recall was the one that 
Brian Kibler kind of ran into. And that was kind of the, the big blow up. And that's where a lot of this stuff kind of stemmed from. And it has been getting infinitely better since then. Mm-hmm. You know, they just need to go a little bit further, but it is the best way to play magic online. Hands down. You will never talk me off of that. I kind of can't blame them for not knowing what some obscure card that was played in a championship 20 years ago, how that's still coded because no one has cast that card on magic online in 20 years. Um, Yep. That's, it's another question of whether that's an offering that appeals to a large amount of people, but like, it's not the end of the world. There's going to be a bug here or there. There's going to be an issue. I would say over time, magic online has been a very good experience for me there have been some feel bads. There have been some awesome moments. For reference, I played in the Magic Online beta. And by that, I don't mean the beta for version four or the beta for version three or the beta for version two. I mean the beta, like where you got an invite. And it, it was actually really fun. You could draft, you could trade cards, you could do all the things with the stuff. It was a fun game and I enjoyed playing it then. And I have played it off and on since then. And I've made a career out of playing this game. Are, is there room for improvement and room for criticism? Absolutely. But I, I, I can agree with you here. I'm actually not going to try to talk you off of the soapbox. Criticize it when they make a mistake or where there's an issue. Don't just talk bad about the game if for no apparent reason at all. Like, if you don't like it, don't play it. One thing that I've learned that, that was a very powerful message for me, it was actually one of the stream viewers who said it, uh, was Jess. Said it's okay for people to like things you don't like. That is a very good way to put it. That is a very good way to put it. I like it. And I just wish that people who who want to get into the game, they want to start playing Magic Online. I wish that, that people that didn't like it would not be a barrier to those people getting online and enjoying it. You know, I remember uh, not playing version 3 for, for because version 4 was coming right around the corner. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get in on the ground floor on version 4 and I'm going to try it. And I remember just all the hate and and everything and it almost turned me off of the game and I'm like you know what I'm going to give it a try and I gave it a try and it was fine right like it was buggy it was early in v4 it was when there was v3 and v4 kind of running in parallel with for for like three or four months or whatever and you know I, I got what I paid for right I got to play magic and because it was early it, it there was bugs but since then in like the last I think it's been three years it is so good. It's so easy to play. It's cheap. It's friendly. I can draft in my underwear. I can draft on stream in my underwear. I can I can play leagues at my own pace. I can do all of this stuff that I cannot do in paper magic. I can do a draft in an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And I can do a draft in an hour and a half spread over five days if I wanted to. I cannot do that in paper. If you want to play as much magic as possible for as cheap as possible and, and as competitive as possible because... The one thing that the major thing that the, the free versions of Magic Online do not play them. It the, the one of the major detractors there is there's no prizes. There's no reason to play competitively. Like you you play against somebody with some jank brew and they look at you and they're like, well, there's no prize on the line. I don't like I don't want to play against your deck. I'm just going to scoop and, and go on your merry way. Like when you're playing for prizes, when you're playing in leagues online, that doesn't happen when you put. When you put a dollar value, even a very small dollar value on a on a match, like the level of play goes through the roof. When there's pride and money or prize and tickets, prize and prize pride and prizing on the line, it, it does so not compare to anything to else. It feels so good to win, and it feels so good to have these close competitive games where your opponent's not just going to scoop because they they you know bricked on land. I mean, 
okay, they sometimes they will scoop if they brick on land three games in a row, but at least you get something out of it if they scoop and you don't get to, you know, test your deck and you don't get that full magic experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, just for those haters out there, they're going to hate for no reason. That's fine. I understand. You can do what you do. If you enjoy hating, that's fine. Just, you know, please don't drive new players away from the game. And for those of you who are on the fence, give it a try. 10 bucks. You'll get to play four or five new player drafts if you want, which with your entry fee, if you don't like it, you're down 10 bucks and you probably play magic for like five hours. If you enjoy it, you'll unlock a whole new world of playing magic that will be anything beyond or be beyond anything you've ever played in paper. Period. That's that's my soapbox. And I'm going to take us out here with just some some final comments, because I have people come on stream all the time and occasionally say things like. Hearthstone is better. Eternal's better. Um, Hex is better. Occasionally when I'm streaming, I also stream the game Eternal. People will jump on while I'm streaming Eternal and say, Magic is better. Why are you playing this? Hearthstone is better than this. Why are you playing that? And one thing I always want to remind people is like that beta when I was playing Magic Online was in the early 2000s. The reason we're the men from Moto is the original version of this was Magic Online with digital objects. When this game first came out, nobody was doing anything anywhere near like this. And the idea that you wouldn't actually own the cards that you have was like a big barrier to people getting involved. It's since been proven that that's not necessarily the case. Like people have collections in Hearthstone, for example, or name any other card game online that are worth money they've spent money to get them but they can't actually take them out of the game with redemption you are able to do that in magic online and that's been the case and it's been tied to paper because of that since then now i think one day moving forward that like if if you want to get to play more magic for less of an investment i could see that being decoupled at some point but that's one of the reasons why the ev is set where it is is because these cards do actually hold value and if you wanted to, you can get together a whole set, pay 25 bucks and get the paper versions of those cards. So like in the end, it, it doesn't matter. I enjoy playing this game. Like I still stream magic far more than I stream anything else. And I do videos for magic. I talk about magic. I have a podcast about magic. Magic's awesome. And if you want to play as much magic as you possibly can, magic online is the best way to do that. So when there's problems, when there's issues, absolutely call them out and talk about it. But Let's let's praise Moto 2 for what it is. It's the best way to play Magic online. It's the best way to play Magic online. And if you're if you're going to criticize, criticize constructively and give credit where credit is due. That's yep. that's what I'm going to close on right there. Yeah, I'm with you there. Also leagues are awesome. Oh, leagues are so awesome. Do you remember grinding out those stupid 8-4s and like waiting 20 minutes between rounds that was like a year ago it feels like 10 years ago yeah yeah oh man streaming is so much like i can do two drafts a night in leagues i I say this all the time but i can do two drafts in three hours and go to bed at a reasonable time i don't because i watch myself on the replay um because i'm a loser like that but man so good yeah you are a loser like that speaking of streams where can the folks check you out when you're streaming 40 hours a week? You can check me out at twitch.tv slash Simulin. You can also find me on Twitter at the same place at Simulin, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. And I am occasionally on Twitch at Twitch 
slash D-Civilian, D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. And you can catch me on Twitter at the same time. All right, so once again, we are the men from Moto, and we bid you farewell. Hopefully we'll see you sometime soon on Magic Online. Adieu.